0: Uh, Let me pray uh, for us now as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. my gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, please use me now in my weakness to speak uh, your Word truthfully and carefully as I ought. And Father, I pray that in your great mercy you might help us hear the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking to us through uh, his words uh, as we read them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think it's fair to say that we all want to live safe and secure lives. Uh, The chilling massacre in Christchurch over the weekend only served to reinforce this desire in me. And in this fallen world, it's true that we're never entirely free from danger or trouble, but I think there are times in life when you get a taste of how good it is to feel safe and secure. To feel like someone's protecting you, providing for you, sacrificing for you, or to use the language of our text, shepherding you. Uh, One of the true blessings of my childhood uh, was that I grew up with a father who in many ways was a good shepherd of his family. He was a guy worth listening to. Uh, Incidentally, Dad was also a literal shepherd of sorts as well. Uh, For a number of years, he owned sheep and was a shearer for many of those years. But I'm going to his family shepherding here. See, by and large, I grew up happy, feeling a deep sense of safety and security uh, under his care. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, For example, Dad was a hard worker. He provided all we needed in life. He, He put food on the table, School uniforms on our back, unfortunately. (laughs) On the odd occasion uh, when I was picked on in primary school, I remember Dad was always ready to get in that car, drive over to that kid's house and have a chat. (laughs) And when I did something stupid, Dad was ready in love to rebuke me and correct me. I remember this one time uh, I was dawdling away in the backyard and I had picked this flower and I just saw an electrical socket, and I stuck it straight in. It wasn't turned on, but when Dad saw me do that, uh, he let me know how dumb that was. (laughs) Now, whether you've had a similar experience or not, the good news of this passage tonight is that there is actually someone far greater than my dad, or whoever that figure's been for you, someone that gives far more than a few stable and happy years in north-central Victoria, believe it or not. See, in this passage, we hear Jesus speaking. We hear him talking about life that is eternally secure, life where you are known by the Son of God who keeps you safe and secure from death itself. We are told that it is Jesus who is our good shepherd, and who brings his sheep life through his death." Now I've broken this passage into three parts, the picture of the sheep pen, the person of Jesus, which is where we'll spend most of our time, and the polarized response that follows Jesus' words. So first, the picture of the sheep pen, verses 1 to 6. it's important to recognize that this picture of the sheep pen follows directly after of the healing of the man born blind. You might remember that. Neil preached on that chapter last week. And you might recall that the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, were not happy about what Jesus had done for this man because why the, the act had been performed on the Sabbath in defiance of their religious scruples. See, in their spiritual blindness, they refused to see the obvious work of God in Jesus. They could not rejoice over what God had done in this man. And instead, they actually bring that guy, you might remember, and interrogate him about his healing. And then they get angry at his refusal to reject the one who had given him sight. They write him off as a sinner. They throw him out of the synagogue, which was essentially declaring that this man, who was clinging to Jesus, had no place among God's flock. You see, in the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus wasn't God's Messiah come to rescue his people. In fact, chapter 9, verse 22 tells us that anyone who believed that Jesus was the Messiah was likewise going to be booted out by the Pharisees. See, Jesus was to them illegitimate. He was leading people astray from their influence, their power. And so what Jesus does through this opening picture of the sheep pen is in some respects to turn the tables on these spiritually blind leaders. Jesus is essentially saying at the start here, It is not I who is illegitimate, but you. I am not the illegitimate shepherd around here. You guys are. See, though the Pharisees looked very religious, and though they claimed to have lots of authority, they were actually thieves and robbers, trying to steal God's sheep away from the legitimate and good shepherd. And you see, in referring to himself as shepherd throughout this passage, Jesus is claiming for himself the title of king. You see, unlike Jesus' audience, we might miss that reality in this text. But in the Old Testament, kings were known as shepherds. They were supposed to love and tend the flock that they were in charge of. But as we see in the Old Testament, most of the kings made a mess of that job. Ezekiel 34, which we just heard read out, is one of many Old Testament prophecies that speak of God putting a stop to this pattern of corrupt leadership and establishing his rule through the ultimate shepherd king. This shepherd king would be a good shepherd that the other kings were not. He would save his people. He would gather them from the nations And so throughout this passage, Jesus is saying through this imagery that God's long promised shepherd is here in him. So let's jump into it. Let's look at the first two verses. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the sheep pen, uh, the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. There are false shepherds and there is a true shepherd. Those who come in over the fence and seek to do harm and the one who enters by the gate and who provides safety and security for the sheep. And really there are three ways that mark this true shepherd out from the false shepherds. Firstly, he comes with obvious authority. Look at verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the door for him. See, the thieves and the robbers, they have to enter by shady and dodgy means over the fence because actually they've got no authority to be there. But not so the legitimate shepherd. His authority is recognizable, and so the gate will always open for him. But secondly, the true shepherd's sheep, he knows his sheep and calls them by name to follow him. See, look at the end of verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, thieves aren't interested in knowing the sheep, but using them. They don't want to tend them. They want to cook them as a roast lamb. But thirdly, the true shepherd recognizes the voice, sorry, the true sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd. And they'll follow him when he calls. See, look at verse 3 again. The sheep listen to his voice. And again in verses 4 and 5, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice but they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Uh, Last year, we were at a church luncheon following the service at Surrey Hills Presbyterian. And during this luncheon, I had let our two-year-old daughter, Esther, kind of wander off to get some food from the tables, lots of people milling about. And as she began walking back to me, She was getting a bit distracted, and she does what those two-year-olds do. They're looking everywhere but forward, and they're just holding out their hand, ready to get Dad's leg. The only problem was that the leg that she grabbed was the leg of another guy. And when she actually looked up, she saw this stranger who she was clinging to. She freaked out and ran away. In fact, Esther wasn't settled until she was clinging onto the leg of her true daddy, the daddy she knows, the daddy that knows her. See, Esther was only, only felt safe and secure with the real dad. These sheep are only safe and secure with their shepherd who they know. Jesus is the shepherd of this picture. Jesus comes with recognizable authority. He knows and calls his sheep, and his sheep know and follow him. And if you think about it, if you cast your mind back to last week where we looked at chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind actually kind of sums all that up. It confirms those realities. Because think about it. In miraculously giving that man sight... Jesus demonstrated recognisable divine authority. And just like the shepherd who knows and calls his sheep, Jesus knew this man. We see it at the start of chapter 9. And he eventually called him to believe in him and follow him. And just like the sheep who recognised their shepherd's voice, this man listened when Jesus spoke. He believed he worshipped, he followed. See, the voice of the Pharisees, I imagine, was very intimidating throughout chapter 9. But their voice was still the voice of a stranger to that man. And that man knew the voice of Jesus was the voice he had to follow. Well, in contrast to the man born blind, the Pharisees aren't really hearing the voice of Jesus uh, in this first part of our passage. Verse 6 tells us that they don't get what Jesus is telling them. And so Jesus goes on to give them two sheep-related images that bring clarity about who he is and, and what he's come to do. Firstly, he is the gateway to ultimate life. And secondly, he is the good shepherd who pays the ultimate cost. Life for the sheep comes through the death of the good shepherd. So let's consider the person of Jesus, the gateway to ultimate life. Life to the full. So look at what it says in verses 7 to 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, if you had asked 17-year-old Christopher in the late stages of high school whether I thought uh, being a Christian was really life to the full, I would have found that question difficult to answer. You see, for me, following Jesus in those years was actually incredibly lonely. There were not other Christian boys in my class. I felt like I wasn't really understood by most people and written off as a weirdo Christian. Uh, in fact, if I had to be honest, uh, I looked at the Christian life Uh, as though it was more of a series of closed doors, closed gates. The door was closed on drinking and partying. The door was closed on dating relationships. The door was closed on sport on Sundays. And perhaps you too are sitting here tonight and you're looking at the Christian life as more of a series of closed doors, But you see, Jesus isn't mincing his words here, is he? He's insistent that when we think of him and the life he gives us, that we should not be thinking closed door, but open gate. He is the gateway to salvation, he says, verse 9. Through him we have eternal life in the kingdom of God. And you see, eternal life doesn't just mean quantity of life where we live forever. He gives us quality of life too. So even now as we trust him, we are restored into a right relationship with the living God through the forgiveness of our sins that Jesus brings. This relationship ensures that we are kept eternally safe and secure, You see, as a 17-year-old Christian, I may not have fully grasped it, but I did have life to the full, and I still do, as a follower of Jesus. See, I could say, and I still can say, the living God knows me. I am his child. He gives me his spirit. He gives me eternal life. I am kept safe and secure in his care. And even if sickness, trouble, loneliness or death strikes me down, he will keep holding me through all of that, shepherding me and one day leading me into eternity where there will no, be no more death, mourning, crying or pain. But notice also that, that Jesus' sheep here are those who also refuse to listen to the thieves and robbers, verse 8. Those who seek to kill, steal, and destroy, verse 10. See, Jesus' sheep recognize that the words coming out of their mouth mean death, and they run from them. Now, it's likely that Jesus still has the Pharisees primarily in mind here, but it may not be limited to them. Uh, But back in chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus had already labelled the Pharisees as children of who? The devil, who want to do their father's will. What did it say? The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. See, death comes through lies that lead us away from Jesus. Jesus' sheep, therefore, will not listen to deadly lies that deny their Savior and deny Him as their only Savior. And so, if they hear someone say, true life is found in the teachings of Muhammad or Buddha or some other religion, Jesus' sheep won't listen to that. Or life is found in looking good and being fit, they won't listen. Or life is found in electing the right politician or political party to power. No, they'll say true life is not found in that. You see, finding pasture, discovering life to the full where you know God's salvation and where he keeps you safe and secure in his care forever, that comes only through Jesus. And what we see in the next section is that this ultimate life comes through the good shepherd who pays the ultimate cost for his sheep. So let's consider that second point, the good shepherd who pays the ultimate cost. Uh, I mentioned my dad at the start of this talk, uh, and like I list off, listed off a few um, memorable features of dad, but there is one occasion uh, that stays in my mind uh, with regard to dad, uh, where I got a glimpse of how much uh, my dad loved me. Uh, we were up in Queensland on a holiday. Uh, my brother and I were swimming in the beach uh, when suddenly I felt the pull of the sea starting to take me out, uh, possibly a rip. And so I called out to my brother for help. I said, Nick, I'm getting dragged out here. Nick's response? The PE teacher told me that it's most safe if I go in and actually get someone to help you rather than me help you. Is that okay? Uh, No, but he wasn't coming. Um, So things were getting scary. You know, I was fighting uh, the pool and actually getting nowhere. But then I saw my brother run out of the surf and straight to my dad who was lying on a beach towel. And immediately I saw dad jump up rip off his T-shirt, and bolt straight into that beach, into that raging water. Somehow Dad got me, he grabbed my arm, and he helped me get out of that rip. In my view, Dad had put himself at risk to get me out. And that moment has always stayed with me as a reminder of the extent of Dad's love for me. Well, in verses 11 to 18, we see the extent of Jesus' love for his sheep. We see the lengths that the shepherd king goes to out of love for his own. And let me say it's a whole lot more, a thousand times more remarkable than that little episode at the beach. You see, we're talking about the Son of God here, who loved sinful sheep so much that he came into our world, not just with the possibility of death, but with the certainty of death. The good shepherd comes on a mission to die so that the sheep might live. See, look at what Jesus says in verses 11 to 13. I am the good shepherd... The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. See, if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, these words tell you. How much Jesus loves you? He's you not like some part-time worker getting paid 7,50 an hour who views you as nothing more than a temporary job. See, that sort of guy will just hightail it at the first sign of danger. You're not worth it. No, no. Because Jesus owns the sheep, because you belong to him, he loves the sheep. He loves you. And because he loves these sheep, he won't run from danger when the sheep are in trouble. Quite the opposite, according to this passage. Jesus Jesus runs directly into the face of danger for their sake. See, when Jesus talks about laying down his life, he is speaking about his death on the cross, which is to come, where the Son of God, The shepherd king willingly endures death on behalf of his sinful people. Now, just think about that for a second. The shepherd dies for the sheep. Uh, I asked my dad on the phone the other day whether he would have ever died for one of his sheep. He said no. (laughs) And I suspect that even the kindest first-century Palestinian shepherd would probably say no as well. They might put themselves at risk, but they'll never willingly die. See, what makes Jesus such a good shepherd is that he dies for his sheep despite who we are as sheep. I mean, think about our sheepish nature just for a minute with me. See, why do I get so angry over those little things and lash out, stamp my feet? Well, it's because at my heart, I'm a sinful sheep. And why do I butt heads with other people when they get in my way and, uh, and they just frustrate my life? Well, at my heart, I'm a sinful sheep. And why do I get myself stuck in the same thorn bushes and barbed wire of addictions over and over again well, because of my heart, I'm a sinful sheep. And see, without our shepherd, we are neither safe nor secure. Death and judgment, because of our sinful hearts, it, it's always prowling around, kind of like that wolf, waiting to snatch us for eternity. We need a shepherd. We need a good shepherd. We need someone to save us from our sin because, well, sheep are really incapable of saving themselves. You don't dip them, you don't look after them, you don't shear them. Something's going to go wrong and they'll die. Dad explained it all in detail earlier this week. And you see, that's what Jesus does for us when he lays down his life at the cross to make his sinful sheep perfectly acceptable before God. Jesus does this despite who his sheep are simply because they belong to him and he loves them. I mean, look at how he describes his relationship with his sheep in verses 14 to 15. I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I laid down my life for the sheep. Now, those words should absolutely blow our minds. So imagine what it would feel like to hear the queen of our commonwealth say that she knows us. Imagine if in her next Christmas address, she just slipped in there, and I know Chris Shaw, and he knows me. Well, you'd be feeling pretty chuffed, wouldn't you? The Queen. But you see, this is the Son of God. Those who belong to Jesus have such a deep relationship with the Son of God that in some way it's a reflection of the depth of relationship that Jesus has with his Father. Doesn't that just blow your mind? But things get even more exciting as we see this saving relationship extend into the world. See, Jesus' words in verse 16 are signalling his plan to save and gather people from the nations. Look at verse 16. Somehow that has made it not quite into my slides, but I'll read it out. Oh, no, there it is. Uh, It's just wrongly titled. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one shepherd. Now, was there ever a better reason to evangelize after hearing that? Jesus is telling us that he has sheep beyond the Jewish sheep pen in which he was operating who will listen to his voice and follow him. He doesn't say they might listen, they will possibly listen. No, he says they will listen, and they will follow. I was reading an email from uh, Bruce and Kathy, who are helping to translate the Bible into a native language in Cameroon just yesterday. And what gets me about their emails is, is the vast amount of work and energy that goes into translating just one book of the Bible. We see Jesus' words here are actually telling us that that work and that energy is worth it. Because when those Cameroonians eventually hear the good Shepherd speak of his death for them in their own language, the sheep will come and they'll find that safe and secure and blessed life that they've been longing for. See, I wonder how many of Jesus' sheep there are in your street, in your school, at your workplace, just waiting to hear their good shepherds speak. All the final words of Jesus in this section remind us that Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't just an accident of history. God the Son and God the Father were committed to this plan. They saw that it happened as the means by which God's sheep would be saved. Look at verses 17 and 18. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now, I think these words should comfort us on a couple of levels. Uh, One, they remind us that Jesus' sacrificial death was actually followed by his powerful resurrection. Jesus' resurrection makes certain that the sins he died for will be forgiven and that we too, if we trust him, will have resurrection life like him. But secondly, it shows us that, the, that Jesus has supreme authority as our good shepherd. He actually rules over all. See, it wasn't simply the Pharisees or Pilate or Herod, who was solely responsible for Jesus' death. It was Jesus' own authority in obedience to his Father's will that brought about his death and resurrection to give his sheep life. Well, then we see the polarized response to all this. Jesus calls himself the gate which... Uh, through which God's sheep will find ultimate life. He calls himself the Good Shepherd, God's promised Messiah, King, who gives life to his people through his death on the cross. And so how do, people, how do the people around him respond to all that? Well, it's polarised, isn't it? Some are saying, oh, this guy is crazy. But others are saying, how can he even say that? He just gave a man born blind sight That hardly seems like a demonic thing to do, a crazy thing. See, look at verses 19 to 21. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, the end of our passage reminds us that the words of Jesus do divide. Some hear his words and reject them. In doing so, they tragically reject life. Others, however, listen to Jesus' words. They follow him and they come to know life to the full, eternally safe and secure with their good shepherd. So who are Jesus' sheep? Those who listen to his voice and follow him. So the question that we are left with at the end of this passage is this. Are we listening to Jesus' voice? Uh, Perhaps you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian. Will you listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd who's speaking to you here? Will you follow him and find eternal life? Now maybe you just need to hear more from Jesus before... Uh, you make any decision, and I think that's perfectly fine. Uh, we would love to meet with you, to, to read Jesus' word with you, and to answer any questions you have. Just put it down on the Connect card, and we can help you with that. Uh, but I would just say as an aside, too, that this passage reminds us, uh, is a reminder for us not to write off the shepherd on account of his sheep, I've seen that sort of happen from time to time. You might know some Christians that have just really turned you off. Maybe they've said or done things that have just been dumb or thoughtless. I'm sure I'm guilty of that. But at one level, that just shows that we are sinful sheep that need saving by our good shepherd. Uh, But if you're in that camp, let me encourage you to look beyond the sheep just for a moment to the shepherd. What's he like? Well, we've heard it tonight, haven't we? He's a good ruler, shepherd, who lays down his life so that you might know life to the full with God for eternity. Sheep are not worth following, but the shepherd certainly is. Uh, but I imagine most of you here tonight are already followers of Jesus. Well, the message is essentially the same thing. Keep listening to his voice and following him. Uh, Jesus' words, all the words bound up in this Bible, are life-giving words that his sheep will seek to live by. Now, they'll struggle from time to time to listen to his voice. They'll make mistakes. They'll forget it uh, because, after all, we're still sinful sheep. But Jesus' sheep will keep returning to his voice. They will want to listen to it and to do what he says. And I think we need to pray for each other in this because competing voices are always in our ear and it's always a spiritual battle of who we're going to listen to. For example, you know, your boss asks you to lie to a client. But Jesus says his followers are to be honest. Whose voice wins? Uh, Your girlfriend or your boyfriend pressures you to be more sexual in your relationship, but Jesus tells his followers that they're to be sexually pure. Whose voice wins? Uh, The voice in my own head says, I I can kind of hold on to that grudge and nurture that loveless attitude to a brother or sister. But Jesus tells his followers to forgive and to love one another whose voice wins? You see, Jesus' voice deserves to win every time we come across it. Because it comes out of the mouth of the good shepherd who can be trusted, who loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. It's not your boss, your partner, not even yourself whose word can be trusted to give you that Eternal safety and security. Only Jesus. Just in closing, uh, one of the results of growing up in a country Baptist church is that all these old-timey hymns, that just get lodged in your brain after being in this same little church for years on end. You'll be walking along the road and then just boom, Blessed Assurance comes in there or, or something else. Well, there's been one that has just been lodged in my brain for, like, the last few weeks. And it's it's become my brain's go-to when I'm rocking off our new baby Heidi to sleep. It's an old hymn called Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And it has this wonderful refrain that says, Leaning, leaning. Leaning safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. And as I've been humming this song and, and thinking about John 10 this week, as I've been rocking off Heidi, I've been reminded that the ultimate safe and secure life is actually not bound up in human arms, no matter how good they seem. See, Lord willing, my arms will provide safety for this child that I'm rocking off to sleep and security. But it will only be temporary and limited, won't it? Just like my dad, who I've mentioned at various points, uh, his arms were strong for a time, but now they're older, they're weaker, he certainly couldn't run into the water and save me anymore. And the reality is that Dad has never been able to rescue me from hell and judgment. What that baby needs as I'm rocking her, what Heidi needs, what I need, and actually what all of you need are the everlasting arms of the Good Shepherd. The arms that don't grow weary, don't get old, don't leave us. Jesus is the one who died to give us life. He is the one who now lives to make sure that we are kept safe and secure in his good pasture forever. Let's pray. My gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent us a good shepherd. Thank you, Lord, that uh, our good shepherd came to die so that we might have life. Father, help that stay in our minds and our hearts so that we might, with joy and resolve, listen to his voice this week and do what it says trusting that he brings us life and salvation in Jesus' name. Amen.